You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome in to the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of photographers listening to the show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I'm Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode. And joining me today is the creator of the fantastic Lumenzia extension panel for Photoshop and a good friend of mine, Greg Benz. Welcome back, Greg. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. Thanks so much for joining me. Um, before we get into the episode, I have to mention again, we've been talking about it for the last few weeks. We have a listener survey that is out there that we'd love everyone to go and answer. Simple, simple survey. It's one question. We just want to know what post-processing software do you use to primarily edit your photos? And don't use this as an opportunity to tell us how much Adobe sucks or how much you don't want this subscription. I, it, it's, it, unfortunately, I don't know a way to turn it off, but we used like Google Forms to do it and they can put in their own entry. So, so many people are like, I gave up on Adobe. You know, they're putting these, these votes in. They're like, okay, that doesn't help us with the numbers here. <laughs> we want numbers to know <laughs> what focused. you're using. And, and if you make a custom entry, you're now one out of, you know, all of them and your vote really doesn't count anymore. So, so just keep it to the options that are there. Answer the question. We'd really like to, to be able to know. We'll share kind of the results with that after we've given people a few more opportunities to get out there and vote. Very simple. We'll link in the in the show notes. Go click on that. It will take it like it can be 20 seconds if you click on the link and then vote. <laughs> so it can be really fast. So go do that. And uh, and we'd like to, to talk about that. Now that said, and this, it's funny that a lot of people take the opportunity to tell us how much they hate Adobe. And we're going to go talk about Adobe products right now <laughs> in this episode. We're going to talk about Photoshop 2020. And that's because Adobe just had one of their big events they hold every year. It's their Adobe Max event. It was held here early November 2019. Greg, have you ever been to Max before? I have. It's been a few years. Um, they're super fun. These events are like... Um it's a whole production. I mean, it's it's like the Las Vegas version of, of Photoshop. Everything is just to the nth degree. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I've never been to it. I don't know that I ever will. I just I have a day job that I'm not going to go take vacation to go to the Adobe Max event. Uh, it sounds like it would be fun to go. but uh, And you can participate online a lot now. They, they live stream a whole bunch of the event. Uh, I don't think it's invite. I think that you could just go stream it if you wanted to, but I didn't have time for that either. So I, I read about it after, and of course, I've been trying. The product was is the biggest thing. So a couple of big announcements that were made at Max, but we're only going to talk about one of them, and that is Photoshop 2020. The other big one that I do want to try out and I do want to have an episode on in the future is Photoshop for the iPad because I'm excited about that. That combined with what Apple did to make it so that you can really leverage external storage in the on the iPad, I think makes that turns that into a really compelling solution where before it wasn't so much for me anyway for photography the the storage limits were a real issue and you just you know the options lightroom on the ipad was not as good for a while it's finally all coming around where i think that might be a pretty viable thing have you used that at all yet greg 
Yeah, I've, I've played around with it a bit. I'm, I'm certainly not the target customer. I'm, I'm a guy who customizes Photoshop <laughs> right. and writing his own software. So uh, not not quite my thing. But I, I think what they've done is is really interesting. And certainly, you know, it's it's version one. So it'll be a lot right. of fun to see where it goes over, over time. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to follow that. Try it out. Um, I'm not totally convinced that I will prefer or like mobile better than desktop. I just built that way <laughs> i like the desktop i like the mouse or the uh, the tablet to control it to walk tablet anyway we're not going to talk about it today because i want to try it out first but i have had some time i've spent some time since the release the final release of photoshop 2020 and i've been testing out some stuff and i want to go over some features that they've announced some updates and features that are now in photoshop as of this release before we get into that I do want to provide the disclaimer. I still highly recommend if you are a photographer who super relies on this for your business and you just can't afford disruptions, don't update yet. I know it's so tempting. Here we are. We're going to talk about new features that are available and you're going to want to go and apply them and use them. But there could be problems. It often happens that there are are issues. It's really tough to be able to make sure that it's not... And if you can't afford disruption, let the early settlers take the arrows like us. (laughs) Let us do it. And then, you know, apply the update a little bit later. Wait a couple weeks before you apply it and then go do it. What do you think, Greg? You know, I would offer a little bit of a different take on that. Um, As a software developer, I have to play with all sorts of different versions. And so I have like three different versions of Photoshop running on my computer. I've got CS6, 2017, 2020, 19. So if you want to try out the latest version, it's 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 really pretty much a safe thing to do. Just make sure you don't check the box that is going to remove your previous version, and then you'll have both. Okay, and then that, you can that's decide fair. when you want to get rid of the old one. That's fair, and they and they did make a it pretty easy to do that in this case with Photoshop. That's not always the case with Lightroom. Lightroom um, sometimes the catalog updates mean you can't go back. So um, I still think if if you're used to it and you don't need one of these new features, just hang on. <laughs> It'll be less disruptive to just wait for a little bit and let and uh, and get the all clear. The other one that I want to quickly rec- uh, say right here because I had tons of questions on it. I still have a lot of photographers saying is Mac OS Catalina uh, getting the the go ahead for me. I not yet, not yet. That they, they made a lot of changes, and there's a lot of software and hardware that has lost compatibility. And uh, they those manufacturers need some time. Some of the hardware is just going to be abandoned. That's like never going to work with with uh, Mac OS Catalina. So um, if you want to upgrade to Catalina, then do your research first. Go like find all of the software and hardware you use, and go to their websites and see if they say they support it, and make sure they all do before you upgrade. I have been peppered with all kinds of people saying, I upgraded and now this thing doesn't work or that thing doesn't work. And like, yeah, that's because they made big changes and you got to wait. You should have waited until until it's all updated. So I don't recommend the go to Catalina just yet. I th- I'm, it's going to get there for sure. It's, it's not going to be a problem forever. But for right now, there's just too many problems. And I'd say stay away. Uh, Greg, I wanted you to come on because I couldn't really think of 
a better resource to talk about Photoshop. <laughs> you are in the bowels of Photoshop routinely. <laughs> and, uh, and so I think you, you can provide a lot of perspective on these things. So I, I was super excited that you were able to make some carve out some time and, and come and join me for this episode. We can talk about Photoshop. Why don't you just share real briefly with the listeners who maybe are new to the, the podcast, what, why it is that you are down inside the, the deep bowels and inner sanctum of Photoshop all the time. Well, there's that part of me that was always that kid taking things apart. So there's yeah. that, but, uh, but, uh, you know, my, my job as a photographer involves uh, developing software for Photoshop. So I'm actually, uh, the creator of Lumenzia, which is a luminosity masking panel for Photoshop. So I'm, I'm definitely, uh, in pretty deep with it and, and, uh, constantly exploring it. But, you know, the truth is there's nobody who knows the entirety of, of sure. Photoshop and I would include, you know, the employees of Adobe, everyone, yeah. everyone knows a, a different piece of it, but <laughs> right. it's a, even it's, the engineers, they know their one button they've worked on, but <laughs> maybe not the whole thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's 30 years of uh, building in history and you know, that's, that's the beauty of, of everything being in there, but it's also the, uh, the complexity too. Right. Right. And scares photographers a lot. I did an episode just a little while ago, a photo taco episode. So if you're interested in that, uh, taking the intimidation out of Photoshop with Aaron Nace and uh, of Flurn.com. It was really fun. We talked a lot about it because I wanted to provide something where I could uh, inspire photographers because I hear from them constantly that they're just like petrified to go and use Photoshop. They go in there like, what are you doing here? There's buttons and menus everywhere. And what do they even do? And so uh, yeah, you can go check out that episode. And, and I just encourage you to kind of figure it out that uh, adding that to your workflow can be tremendously helpful. And, uh, and I, I hope you'll get, you'll get your brave on and <laughs> go do that if you're not already. Okay. Um, let's talk about the new features, Greg. Let's, let's, we've spent enough time not talking about them. Let's, let's go to it. I want to go through these features in the order of how excited I am about them. <laughs> so I want to start with the one I'm most excited about and and then we'll go for you know then the the next most and and so on and we'll we'll have a little time at the end to talk about some of them that are more trivial and uh and and see which how how many we get through. The first one that I wanted to talk about was the smart object selection tool. I was super excited about this. Uh, Adobe teased it before the event. They teased a couple of weeks before they, they started to put out little video demonstrations about how some of the new features work, and they really profiled this smart object selection tool. And uh, I was really excited to go and try this out because this is a tool I could really use if it works well. So um, I do a lot of composite photography, a whole bunch of it. And if you don't know what that is, that means you, you take like select the person out of one image or a thing out of one image and you paste them into another image and try to make it look like they were all actually in a single image the whole time. It's challenging. It's really fun for me. I love trying to make sure the lighting matches and uh, I tend to do a lot of photography while well, I've done it with high school sports and the gym backgrounds that, that we might have available to us or even outdoors just don't look very cool. So I love being able to like take the athletes that I've shot and put them onto a, a cool background and I'll make it feel like they're on ESPN or something. And, and, uh, and even portraits, I do a lot of portraits out of my basement in my house here, not great backgrounds to be able to, to have them in front of. And so I, I love being able to do the same thing, just extract them from the 
the uh, the portrait they're in and put them on a, a more appealing background. Really fun photography. It means I do a lot of selections. I've got to get the selections down and make it so that it's not something that is immediately obvious that it was done in Photoshop and that I pulled them from one image and put them on another. So I really was hoping that this was going to speed up that process. I've tried all kinds of tools now to speed that up. Um, I've tried all kinds of different shooting things too, things I can do you know, with the environment as I'm shooting and cameras I'm shooting. And uh, it still takes longer than I would like it to. So I was hopeful. I was like, oh, this looks so cool. And the videos they could show where you just dragged, like use the, it looks like the, the normal like marquee selection tool, which means it's that like square tool. You just draw a box around the place where you want to select and then uh, it would select the object. So they, they showed lots of a few examples in their videos that I'm sure were very selected to make sure it worked <laughs> well in the videos. And did something like, you know, a, a hat on a girl was one of the examples where they, they just drew the box around the hat. They didn't have to be very selective about it at all. And Photoshop just kind of knew because based on where the square was drawn to select the hat. And the hat wasn't a square shape. It was it was a non-normal shape. I don't know how you say it. It was a hat. And uh, and it did a good job in the video. And so I was super excited to try this out. And I'm, I'm going to tell you what my experience. I've, I've done, I, I probably put 50 photos through it now, trying to see how it does and test it out with at least my use case in uh, composites with portraits. And uh, I'll tell you what I think about it in a second. But Greg, have you had a chance to try it? I have. I, I don't think I've done 50 images with it like you have, but I've, I've given it a good run. Okay. And so what do you think? How does it work? Um, so I think it's super interesting. One of my favorite tools in Photoshop is Quick Select. Yeah. And I think this new object selection tool to me is like another variation of a tool like that. It's very similar in that you make this kind of quick and dirty selection that um, gets you really, really close. It's not perfect. And, you know, if you're willing to make a couple little refinements, you get to a great finished result faster. So uh -huh. I think it's great. Uh, I'm excited they've added it in. I don't know yet when I'm going to use, you know, quick select versus object selection, the new tool. Um, I'll have to kind of figure that out, like kind of see which one's maybe more accurate or when it works, whatever. I'd like my assumption is I end up using both and I have to figure out kind of where. Um, but yeah, it's just like you said, you, you draw either kind of a, a, a rough lasso selection or a square around your, your subject and then it picks it out and usually it'll get you like 80% of the way there. And then you need to add or subtract from it. And that's the key. It's just like the quick select tool. If you just take the first go, you're not going to be happy all the time. But if you, you know, hold down the shift or the alt key, you get in like a plus or minus mode and you can very quickly, um, add a little bit more subtract. And then you're giving it just a bit more of a nudge to tell it what you're really trying to do. And that'll get you like 90% of the way there or more. And then you can do little tricks if you need to soften the edges the things like that, the typical kind of refined edge and, and things like that. So, um, you know, if you look at it as a tool that's going to get all your job done, you're not going to like it. But if you look at it for what it is, which is a tool to speed things up and get you to a better place faster, uh, I think it's a great tool. Okay, so I agree with it the way that you explained it. That's not how they explain it in the video. <laughs> their, their marketing <laughs> video was not like that. Their marketing video was the magic, right? It's like, hey, I drew a box around the hat. And now the hat's totally like selected. And now you can do cool things with the hat. 
And uh, and so you know, there was more magic in the video than it has ended up in reality with my testing. So <laughs> in the testing that I've done with portraits and trying to select like people in the portraits, uh, I think it doesn't do as good a job as just dragging the quick select tool around the subject. And so like at first I thought, oh, this actually will save me time. Like it, it gets me 80% of the way there and then add a little bit. But then as I have used it now on, I think about 50 images, um, it, it ended up being more work because it just didn't quite select all the way to the edges on like the whole subject. And so it meant I had to go around and use quick select to add so that it got to the edges across the whole thing. And I may as well just use quick select right from the beginning. So for that specific use case, it struggled in what I was trying out. Now, did you try and use, instead of quick select to refine it, did you try just using object selection to refine I itself? I did. And it would, <laughs> it would really get confused as I was trying to say like, no, really. So here, here's an example. I had a, a picture of my niece and she was hold, she just turned two years old. And so we had her, we took a photo of her holding up one of those little chalkboards, you know, and they write two on the front of it and we get the whole Pinterest kind of pose. <laughs> and, uh, and it would not select that chalkboard. Like I, I went around the entire person and she's holding a chalkboard. So it was in there and it wouldn't select it. So I was like, okay, well maybe it thought I didn't want that as part of the image. It's, it's a, you, I could see where that could be part of what the algorithm was, was trying to do. And so I, I held down the shift key to say add, and then I would just draw it around the chalkboard still didn't add it. It might've had like one little border of the chalkboard, but not the whole thing. And I kept trying and I could not make it add it to the selection and so, so it, it just, it wasn't what I was, I was hoping for more <laughs> from the videos. I was hoping for a little bit more for the use case that I'm using it for. It didn't quite, it, I don't think it's going to be super helpful for my particular use case and, and what I do most often with my composite work to, uh, to have it be what I was hoping it would maybe over time, because they do have, this is like AI based stuff. Maybe it can be trained better and it will be improved over time. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see. And maybe I'm going to keep trying it too. I'm, I'm not giving up quite yet, although I'm pretty convinced like if I have a job I need to get done fast, I'm going to go back to quick select and, and use that tool because it works. It does a good job. And then the select mass workspace from there makes it pretty quick for me to be able to get there. I was just hoping I could have like a one-click solution that would be really really awesome to be able to have that and it's not quite that even though that's what the video sort of sort of showed yeah i think the one-click promo is is overselling what it always what it can yeah, be. Well, and, and, and and then it, and then people get underwhelmed and then they don't use it but i, I think there is some some good stuff in there what, a couple of quick things i'll say yeah. about it um in the toolbar when you activate it there's a couple of options and one of them that I turn on and, and I think should just be the default is what they call object subtract. Because when you refine it, when you, if you hold the alt key or you, you otherwise put it in the negative mode to like say, I don't want this little piece to be selected. Normally it just is like, it's gonna subtract the lasso or the rectangle you draw with no intelligence. Turning on object subtract is basically saying like, hey, keep using the magic as we work on this thing. Right, right. Um, and that's a really helpful setting. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I'm excited. I'm, I'm really glad Adobe's trying this kind of stuff out. The computational photography space, they've got to keep up and keep adding stuff like this in there because there's other software. Uh, I just talked with 
with the uh, CEO of, of Luminar a few weeks ago, and they've got some impressive stuff going on in Luminar with the computational photography and the AI features. And uh, so I, I'm excited. I, it's, it's all benefit to all of us, right? We, we get all these tools. Like, there's nothing to say you can't use both Luminar and Photoshop. It's, it's great. <laughs> use the tool for the job and whatever's the best tool for you. And I, I hear you. If, if you don't like Photoshop or it's too, you don't like the subscription model and you want to do something else, awesome. Whatever it's going to take to create your images, go do it. Figure out how to do it. Uh, we just, it, this is the software I use a lot so I can talk about it. And we have the vast majority of our listeners use it too. So, so that's why the, the podcasts are about them. All right. I think we got that one taken care of there, Greg. Yeah, I think so. All right. Let's move on to the next one. The one I was next most excited about is auto sampling with the new content aware feel. So, um, I'm going to let you explain Greg a little bit more about like what the change is. They did make a change in this area just like a few months ago, back I think it was in June 2019, where they made content aware feel something that that you could better inform as you did it. So let me explain real quick what was done in June, and then I'll Greg, I'll have you talk about what they've updated in this release in Photoshop 2020. So back in June, they changed it so that um, when you did the content aware fill and you went to the workspace, they added a workspace to it, then uh, by default, when it came up, it kind of showed it, uh, a green rectangle um, around the part of the image that you're trying to content aware fill. And the point of that, that green rectangle was those are the source pixels. Those are the pixels that Photoshop is going to consider as it's trying to fill in the space that you've told it you want to, to use the content or fill on. And it, you could then erase or add green so that you could say, okay, actually, Photoshop, I don't want you to use these pixels right here because that wouldn't match the area that I'm trying to get filled in. And that it was a really nice feature in June when they released that. I do a fair amount of content or a fill in a lot of my images too when I'm in Photoshop. And the I, what the way I was doing it prior to that June release would be I would do content aware fill, it would kind of not be right, and then I'd just do it again and again and, and and maybe selecting a little different area and keep trying until finally it all came together and looked pretty normal. And then I might have to do some spot healing or you know other tools to try to fix it remaining issues. And when they changed it so that we could control what source pixels were being used, it got better. It got quite a bit better for me so that I only had to use it once, content aware fill, and maybe still had to do some spot healing or, or clone, uh, cloning um, in, in some of it, but it was way better to have it considered or where I could control what pixels Photoshop was using to uh, as source for the content fill area. All right, so with that and the change that was back in June, what have they added to it right now in Photoshop 2020, Greg? Yeah, well, it, it, I think you did a great job of describing it. It's, it's those green areas where, so the, the old version of Content Aware Fill was like, take it or leave it. It just does its job. You don't get any say in the matter. And, you know, it's right. either good or you undo. <laughs> or do it the, again the, and again and again. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, and, and then the, the version that came out with earlier this year, they said, great, here's some controls. So you are in the driver's seat and you can manipulate this tool to get to a better result. And that was awesome. It's so much better than what we used to have. And I've right. got a tutorial on my website 
that kind of goes through exactly how to use the tool. And the update they've made to it doesn't change that interface at all. But what it does is the green area, which is one of the levers of control you have to try and prevent it from using the wrong stuff to make repairs, it does a better job of setting it. So in the, the original launch of this new feature, it just kind of generically s- selected like a big rectangle around what you were trying to fix and it could grab anything. Now it takes a look around that area and it tries to more intelligently say, hey, you know, uh, looks like Jeff's trying to fix the water. So let's not like sample from the trees right, kind of right. a thing. And it presets that green area for you if you're in auto mode. And so you have all the same control. The algorithm, as far as I know, works the same. But instead of you having to do that work of, you know, tell it what to pick from, it does a, better, uh, it does a much better job of doing it for you. So you're kind of getting the best of both worlds. The tool is mostly pretty automated for you, but you have all the controls. Right. I love it. And so I've tried this out too. I purposely went and tried to, it wasn't areas that I even needed content aware fill. Um, I was just trying it out, see how does it do and in, in figuring out what to select and what to, to propose should be green and be the source pixels. And yeah, it does a very good job. So as, as opposed to the first one where I ended up being a little disappointed in how well it worked, I'm really excited about this this one. I think it's going to make it even better. We're, we are, we're up in the game even a little more on content-aware fill, which is really the, mo- the most compelling feature of Photoshop almost overall has been this has been a really good feature in Photoshop for a long time. The content-aware fill stuff is really well done and uh, and really helps you to get rid of like distracting things in photos in a, a reasonable way in a reasonable amount of time and it's only getting better so i'm really excited about this i think this is going to be uh very beneficial to the listeners as they go to do this and you'll see if you've used content aware fill this will totally make sense it's it's really simple to use and even if you haven't go try it go give it a try i'm glad you mentioned your tutorials greg uh, i meant to say that at the top of the show and i skipped that in our show notes but <laughs> but now we'll go back to it uh, greg has a seriously good blog post about this about the new features in photoshop cc 2020 so you can go to gregbensphotography.com and you'll be able to see him he's got links to those tutorials those are free tutorials right greg yeah yep. yeah so they're just free and kind of show you how you can use some of these tools. So if you've never done anything like this in Photoshop, Greg does a really good job on those tutorials in being able to show you how to use these features. And uh, that's a great way to learn it. You, if you can have a goal, that's kind of what we talked about with Aaron Ace. One of the biggest things to learning Photoshop is you need to have a goal you, need to, you want to accomplish with your image. And then so get help find content out there training that shows you how to accomplish that goal and then go do it until it becomes second nature and, and you know exactly how you can can make accomplish those goals without needing the tutorials so go check out his stuff that will be extremely helpful um have you tried out the new content aware fill stuff what have you think thought greg i think it's great uh, it's uh, you know it to my experience it works just like the old one but you do less work yeah so yeah. to me it's just like all the great stuff, but even faster and easier. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that they hit it on this one better than they hit it on the, the first one. But it's a first try. It's their first attempt at the smart object selection. So I, I hope they'll keep working on it and, uh, and make it better. All right. We're going to talk about a few other features that are in Photoshop's release of Photoshop 2020 here in November 2019. But first, we need to take a quick break here and thank the sponsor for this episode. 
Meet the scheduling assistant that works 24-7 behind the scenes to fill your calendar. From the moment clients book with you, Acuity is there to automatically send confirmations, deliver text reminders, and process payments. Never again are you going to have to ask a client what time works for you, because with Acuity, clients can quickly view your real-time availability, self-book their own appointments, and schedule with a click. Then Acuity will automatically update your calendars that you already use, including Google, Outlook, iCloud, or Office 365, keeping your entire life in sync. All you need to do is show up at the right time. Acuity even asks clients to fill out intake forms when scheduling and keeps all of their information neat and tidy in one place. With the ability to manage multiple locations and employees, class bookings, private sessions, add-on sales, and recurring subscriptions, Acuity can adapt to any business. Save yourself from the day-to-day drudgery of keeping up with your clients and your busy schedule by using Acuity Scheduling. For a limited time, you can get 45 days of Acuity Scheduling absolutely free, no credit card required. Just go to acuityscheduling.com slash MPP. That's Acuity, spelled A-C-U-I-T-Y, scheduling.com slash MPP for 45 days free. All right, Greg, the next feature I was most excited about is the Enhanced Transform Warp. It's what they say in their marketing stuff. On your blog post, you called it Quilt Warp. So I like that name. That's easier to say. <laughs> but but it's, the, <laughs> it's using the Warp tool. Uh, I have far less experience using Warp than the other two features that we've already talked about. I've used it occasionally. I just haven't had that many instances where I've needed Warp. And I, I'll admit, I found Warp a little challenging to use as I've gone and done it. So the, the few times where I was like, oh, this I could use Warp on. I really, I really need to change this. And it's, it's mostly like uh, changing perspective, like maybe from wide-angle lenses. And I've gone so wide that there's a little distortion there around the edges. And I want to try to fix that a little bit. So and I knew Warp was the tool to use that. And I've definitely seen lots of tutorials on it. It was challenging to figure out how to use the grid, and there were these uh, little handles around the outside edges of the grid, and you know, I, I'd mess around with it enough to finally get it to either look the way I wanted, be happy with it, or just give up. <laughs> one, of the, one of the two, uh, and it, it seemed like it was about fifty-fifty. Some fifty percent of the time, I'd give up because I couldn't make it look like I wanted, and uh, and fifty percent of the time, like, oh, that works. In fact, the the place where I've used it the most was in building like fake reflections in photos. So I've done some some pretty extreme high school athlete composites. I talked about that already. And one of them was I did like full body shots. And then I wanted to place them on a, a fake gym floor, a black gym floor. And I wanted their reflection um, to be there in the gym floor. So, you know, you, you think, well, that's really easy. You just invert the person, you stick them there, you, you change the transparency, boom, you got a shadow, but, or sorry, a reflection. But it doesn't quite work where the model meets the reflection. It doesn't look right by itself. It's wrong. <laughs> the proportions are wrong. And uh, it's tough to make it look completely right. And I had to use warp on the shoes of the athletes so that they kind of met the bottom of the shoe met the bottom of the reflection and I had to use warp to get there. And, uh, and I figured out enough about warp to make that work. But I think the changes here, and I haven't tried this yet, so I don't have experience on this one to tell you how well it works. I think the changes here might make it so that a more novice warp user like myself may be more successful. So Greg, what, what did they change? What did they update with the warp tool? 
So what you can do now is put a bunch of grid lines on your photo anywhere you want. And where those grid lines kind of intersect, like horizontal and vertical lines, they create these little control points. And so let's say I draw uh, kind of a square around uh, a mountain in the image that I want to change. Well, then I'd get like four little corner points and I can drag those and move it around. So I can take that and I could make the mountain bigger or smaller, right. or I could make it lean left or right. Or, you know, you could kind of change anything. It's, it's a little bit like, um, these other warping tools like, um, liquify or puppet warp where you can move the pixels around. But in this case, it gives you, I think a better ability to manipulate it the way you want without turning the image to silly putty and getting like <laughs> overly stretchy, weird results. Yeah, so, yeah. I, so I think if you want to like manipulate the image a little bit, but you don't want to go like off into crazy land, it's a really nice tool. It's very intuitive to just, you know, drop a couple of these lines and then you can, for example, um, select multiple control points and like rotate or like shrink or expand an area. So, um, I did a, a demo using a tool called perspective warp. It's a different tool. Um, but the idea that I show in there of selecting this mountain that was a little bit, or is a C stack, it's a little bit small because of wide angle distortion. It didn't look like it looked in real life. Well, I created that grid and I kind of expanded out. I made it look bigger. This new tool, you can just kind of quick drop down a couple points, grab them and boom, you've got something that looks a lot more like real life. So even if you're the kind of person who says, I don't want to manipulate photographs, I think there's always things like that where the camera has destroyed reality. And yeah, so it's right. up to you to decide, you know, do you want to use the tool to actually bring reality back? And of course you can do all sorts of crazy things with this. I mean, you can make totally cartoon results or <laughs> right. whatever you want. You, you have the control, but the, the nice thing is just a very intuitive way to kind of move pixels around the screen. And it's hard to talk about. You almost have to see it, but you right. can just imagine whatever you want to fix on the image. You want to make something bigger, smaller, straighten it out. All these sort of things where you want to fix like one little thing in the image, you know, you, you have the leaning tower piece you want to make it straight. Okay. You can do it with this tool. So. <laughs> right. Okay. And, and my frustration with the warp tool, I think they addressed what my frustration had been. And it was because like I would, I'd be trying to warp the top of the pixels that I'm working with and it would affect too much of the bottom. And I couldn't really figure out very well how to grab the right spot on the grid to make it so that it would have the result I wanted. And, and then as, as I played with it more and more and more, it would just get worse and worse and worse as I, as I was struggling with how to use the warp tool. So uh, it, it's something I, I'm excited to give a try and, and see if the new controls make it easier to use the tool. But that's, I think that's the whole purpose of what they were trying to do with these changes. Is that right? Yeah, it, with the old tool, it's kind of like they said, here's just a couple places you can push and pull on the image. Uh -huh. Now you get to define it. And so you can say, great, I want to mark these specific parts in the image that I want to change and leave these alone. Yeah. And so it gives you a lot more of that, uh, that control. And, you know, and, and the ability to do things like twist and rotate is kind of cool. I mean, if I had like, uh, you know, I'm shooting a sunrise on the ocean and there's like, water streaking on a rock well i could like bend the water a little bit more to make it more artistic wrapping around that rock if i wanted to change that little streak of water or things like that or right. change a, a cloud in the sky or things so um i don't know I, I guess it's a little bit like if you have any idea of what liquify is imagine doing that with a lot more precision where it's like you can kind of do anything but you're also 
not damaging the photo because everything you touch just like changes too much. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm really excited to try it out. Like I said, though, there's, there's just not very many use cases for me in my photography where I've needed this. So I'll, but I'll remember the next time I'm like, Oh, this is a place where I could use it before, because it had been like 50, 50, I, I, I'd evaluate like, Oh, do I have time for this right now? <laughs> and, uh, and now I'm going to be more out to be like, okay, I'm just time to go give it a try. I want to see if the tool is, is improved enough to make it so that I will go to it more often rather than give up and, and not even try it because it just didn't work as, as good as I had hoped I wanted it to. Uh, so I'm excited about the feature because of that. I think it's, it might make it now so that it becomes more of an option for me, uh, not being an expert in how to use it and, and not having to be an expert as much now, I hope. Uh, okay, let's do the next one. I'm next most excited about is is a feature that is probably like small. A lot of listeners may be like, what? You thought that was a feature you're excited about? Come on. Uh, it's a, admittedly a pretty small feature, but I'm, I'm excited about it because it means a few, less, uh, a few less keystrokes and it means uh, brush size doesn't change as I'm doing this. That's the, the part I'm probably most excited about. So, so the, the feature is called Erase While Brushing or... Well, I don't know if it's called that, but that's what it does. It allows you to erase while you're brushing, and and uh, it's it's using a, <laughs> it's using a key on your keyboard that is is hard to describe where it is. Uh, Greg, why don't you you tell us about how this feature works? Yeah, well, so the the button you're talking about while you're brushing, if you hold down what's called the grave accent, which is <laughs> that thing that looks like a backward single quote just left of the one key. So if you go to the one on your keyboard, go one over to the, the you know, it's it's where the tilde is, but you don't hold shift. Right. So so when you hold it down while you're using the brush, what it does is it temporarily gives you an eraser. And you know, we could always hit the E key before to get the eraser, but right. let's say you're brushing with a big brush and you hit E for eraser and suddenly the eraser is really small and the flow is wrong and the sizes or the hardness is different. And you know, there's all these different settings. And so it's really nice if you can get to an eraser that works like what you painted with. So if you want to erase something, you probably want to erase it more or less the way you painted it. And so it's a, a really nice way to toggle between brushing and then like fixing any brush mistakes you made, as opposed to like toggling between the brush and the eraser and constantly changing like every setting of your brush to make it match the way you want it to match. Right. So it's, it's super simple, but it's just, it's like one of those things that like, wow, like I wish we would have had this 10 years ago. It's like really easy and just works. Right. And it, does it change? Did I read it right? That it, it, the behavior of it depends on like what exactly you're painting. Yeah, there's one, it's not that it behaves differently, but it's going to start to expose something that people may not realize so if you're um, on the pixels, it's going to work the way you want. But a lot of people are probably brushing and erasing on layer masks. Uh -huh. And on a layer mask, you might be just toggling between black and white paint. You might not be actually using the eraser. And the thing to know about this is when you use this shortcut, you're actually using the eraser. And the way that an eraser works on normal uh, layer pixels in the image is it erases them to transparency. But on a layer mask, you would think, well, erasing to just being transparent would be going black, but it doesn't. On a layer mask, it actually just paints the background color. So if you set the background color to gray, 25% gray, then when you hit the shortcut, it will basically paint with 25% gray, but so will the eraser. So it works the same way as the eraser. I just would say 
maybe we should change the way the eraser works, honestly, in my, <laughs> right. my, in my sense. But I, I, think that, I think that might trip a few people up. So if you're doing this on a layer mask, just be aware that if it's not getting black and you expect it to like remove your white, just take a look at your background color and, and just make sure that's black. All right, there you go. Perfect. Okay, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that one. Uh, I got to get used to it. I got to remember to hit that instead of the E. Because I, I, it's almost muscle memory now <laughs> to go between. I, I'm a huge fan of keyboard shortcuts, so I, you definitely want to learn those. It really speeds up your workflow if you can learn those keyboard shortcuts. And so I, I'm going to have to try to train myself not to immediately go for the E key and and uh, and hit that tick mark key there. Uh, okay, so so that's the next one. There's a bunch of other features, Greg, that are there. We don't have time, I don't think, or I, I, the listeners will be bored if we try to go through all of them. So um, what of the remaining features are you most excited about? Yeah, you know, they always put a lot of these little uh, different features that you know are like really exciting to a small percentage of people, but <laughs> right. there's kind of usually a little something for everybody. Um, one that I'm kind of selfishly excited about is some of the new 32-bit support they've added to it, um, which means that I'm now going to be able to add 32-bit luminosity masking into Lumenzio. So uh, look for an update on that very soon where Lumenzio will now be able to create masks and selections while you're working on 32-bit images. Okay, so but why, um, why is that a big deal? Today they're 16-bit, is that right? Uh, well, I mean, with Lumenzia, you can make eight or 16 bit, um, luminosity mass right now. If you're in six and if you're in 32 bit, the panel doesn't support it currently. It would ask you to convert to 16 bit. Okay. So you'd be able to work in it. So I think in terms of like 32 bit, do you need a 32 bit mask? No, definitely not. That's total overkill. But what's exciting is if you work in a 32 bit workflow, if you're working on HDR and 32 bits or whatever you might be doing, you can continue to work on that document and be able to use luminosity masks while you're working on okay. it. So it's, right. n- it's not like a, a quality thing. It's more like letting you stay in 32-bit mode and keep working. Okay. Yep, that makes sense. Yeah, okay. That's good. Yeah, I, yeah. And not a feature that I was keen on as I was looking through the list, but I see why it is that you're, you're interested in that. Uh, I don't do 32-bit workflows almost at all. It's just like overkill for the stuff I'm doing. So, uh, the computer slows to a crawl. So I, I stay 16, but, uh, <laughs> but I could see why some people might, might want that. Uh, any others, any others that you're pretty excited about? Um, you know, just some little things like the, uh, the improved lens blur, uh, it actually will support uh, a depth map. So if you're shooting on a smartphone, these smartphones now actually will capture three dimensional data about the scene. If you're shooting in the right mode, and you check all the right boxes. So it's not like you can't just grab any smartphone image. You actually have to you know, know what you're doing to set up a few things, which is unfortunate. But when you have that image, you would have all that data. So if I took a, a portrait of someone, the face would be registered as being closer than the background and saved with the file. Right. And with this lens blur, you can you know, go in and actually you know, essentially refocus. So just like on the iPhone, you have like a refocusing capability. Photoshop now basically has kind of a refocusing capability and you can use it in many different ways. But if you have a a smartphone that you've set up to do this, you can actually just work with your image and just click on it to to refocus, which is pretty cool. Right. Uh, Okay. How about, I'm just going to ask you about this one, improvements to the presets. I don't use a ton of presets, so I don't know if I'm particularly going to care about this. What do you think of that one? I haven't played with it. Yeah. I never use presets like that. I, yeah. I think it's great for uh, p- 
people do like a lot of high volume graphics work or painting or that kind of stuff. Right. Um, you know, if you're pulling up a million different like special backgrounds and brushes and whatever, but I, for me, I'm always using the same old round brush for all my photography. Yep. And then there's a, another small one. That's the improved properties panel. They've they're lever, you know, a lot of us have larger screens now, more real estate inside of Photoshop. So they're, they're finding a good way to make it so that there's like a little bit less menu work you have to do. And, and you can get in, you can see things now inside of some panels because there's the space there that that was kind of nice, not earth changing by any stretch, not enough to really spend any more time on it than we just did. Uh, okay. So Greg Lamenzia, I want to kind of finish up here. I, I think a lot of listeners uh, are familiar with Lumenzia and, and what it can be. Uh, you just released version eight, uh, just ver- barely before the Max event. Uh, was that to bring it up so that it was more ready for Photoshop 2020, or what? What came with version eight? Um, version eight has so much going on in it. Um, I was uh, managing a lot of personal stuff this summer, so I was actually hoping to release it uh, earlier this year, and okay. it ended up being kind of a catch-all for a lot of different ideas that my, my list of changes is like 350 items. Um, you know, what I would sum it up as is there's just a lot of areas where I've taken it and just made it more intuitive to the user. Like my favorite features are not the ones I would tell you about. They're more the things where you just don't have to think about something and it just works better. So a lot of it is, you know, same great features, but much easier to use. Um, you know, for example, like the sliders now work with pretty much everything. They're much faster and more responsive. Um, so for the most part, if you've been using Lumenzia, you should be able to just pick it up, start using it, and it'll just feel like a better experience without having to really think about it. Yeah. So in listeners, if you're not familiar with it, you need to go check it out go over to the, to Greg's website and check out the, the extension panel. Luminosity masking is, is probably the thing I use it most for, but it also has things that make it again. So you don't have to go through the menus. There's a lot of shortcuts that are are there in the panel so that you don't have to navigate through the endless menus in Photoshop. Uh, and, and it's, it's a really good tool. Um, you got to go check out all that's there and, and Greg has some training too. So if you have heard this term luminosity masking a lot, we did a photo taco episode, Greg and I did a little while ago on, on how to do photo or what luminosity masking is. But he's got a really good video training that you can go and and buy with the extension panel so that it simplifies it significantly. It makes it much, much easier for you to go into Photoshop and leverage uh, making selections via luminosity masking. And it, it's uh, it's really nice. Good, good thing to go and check out. I assume then that version 8 is totally compatible with Photoshop 2020, Greg? Yep. Um, it works works great. Yep. Okay, I've been trying it out some, but I it, I haven't done any luminosity masking in t- Photoshop 2020 yet, so I haven't I haven't tried that out yet. But really, uh, highly recommend Greg's panel for for doing that, simplifying a lot of things in Photoshop, and uh, that that's good. All right, any other features, Greg, before we close up the show here that we need to tell the listeners about? Oh, you mean across uh, Photoshop here, yep. all the new 2020 updates? Yep. Um. I think we hit on all the the key ones, you know, it's just kind of nice to see Adobe just keeps making uh, these changes. There's not a whole lot of things in here. We're going to say, wow, that was like earth shattering. Right, but right. I was thinking about the other day, like look back at like CS6, because I support a lot of people still on CS6 versus where we are now in CC. And it's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, like CS6 was launched uh, seven years ago, more than seven years ago. Um, and it's like radically changed. So I think it's, sometimes you don't even notice like how much, Photoshop has uh, improved over the years 
And it's just great to see kind of this just parade of ongoing updates, even if like you're not blown away in any given release, these things start to really add up, I think, over time. Right. Yeah, I agree. Yep. It, it's becoming a tool I get into more and more and more, mainly because I can just put some fine touches on things that you can't do in Lightroom in particular, but a lot of other software, it just has a little bit extra <laughs> that's there that I just can't do. Uh, and maybe it's knowledge. Maybe I don't know how to use the other tools. And it's it's a tool I have readily available. So I, I do tend to reach for it a lot. I want to mention just one small issue that I have seen myself. Now, it's just me. So don't take this as like it's a massive problem for everyone. I, I've only experienced it as I prepped for this podcast. Like I said, I went through those 50 images trying stuff out. And one of those things that I tried that is made Photoshop completely crash every time I've done it so far has is uh, they're in the layer properties panel. We mentioned that they're trying to surface some things so you don't have to fish through the menus anymore to go do it. So they now have um, a remove background button in the layer properties panel, which is really nice to have it right there in the panel. And every time I click the button, it crashed Photoshop. So <laughs> I don't, and I've tried to troubleshoot it a little bit. Like I turned off GPU acceleration. I've disabled all my extension panels. I've, I've tried to do a little bit to see if like I could point to something that was causing it to be a problem. And so far it's still just crashed every time I've hit the button, even after changing some of those things. So I don't know if it's just me, just my setup, my particular graphics card or what's causing the problem, but I have run into that one issue, my one data point. Doesn't mean it's going to be a problem for everyone, but I did want to share that that was, that was happening at least so far. And we'll see if I figure out what's caused the problem or maybe you have to go and, and file a bug with, with uh, Adobe to let them know about it. Okay. Well, I, haven't, I haven't seen that. So maybe, uh, maybe you just curse the AI too much and it, uh, you hurt its feelings. Exactly. Exactly. I, I'm sure it's just me somehow. Some With my particular setup, there's something I've got that's that's uh, causing a problem. But it, even that, I, I think, I hope Adobe would want to know and troubleshoot it. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Maybe I'll figure it out quick or maybe I'll have to get with Adobe. Uh, I want to remind everyone that you can check out the show notes and, and for all the links, we talked about some links in, that will be in the show notes from this episode. Those are going to be over at masterphotographypodcast.com. And I have a ton of work in those show notes. So if you're not going and, and looking at those show notes, you're missing out on, on a lot of information that's, that's there. Uh, we have our Facebook group, Master Photography Podcast. And I know so many people hate Facebook now. I get it. Uh, if you don't want to go and, and be on Facebook, then, then I, I understand. But if you do and, and you want to maybe just to go and be in the group, that's fine. And uh, you can find that by searching for Master Photography Podcast in Facebook or the link will be there in the show notes. We also have, uh, you can see my work over at jsharmanphotos.com or my other podcast, phototacopodcast.com, where every month I have a more technical kind of podcast episode that uh, where I answer lots of questions that people have with specific things. And it's, we have a lot of fun talking through that. You can find my links to, uh, to my profiles on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter in the show notes as well. Greg, where can people find you? Uh, best places to head over to gregbensphotography.com and everything is kind of linked from there. Excellent. And again, go check out Lumenzia if you haven't yet. And if you want to up your Photoshop game and you're a little scared about what to do and, and how you can leverage Photoshop well, it's a really good way to get going in Photoshop. Pretty inexpensive th uh, some thing that you can buy and, and, uh, and really get moving. So highly recommend it. 
It is not something that Greg sponsored, just making sure everyone knows. <laughs> it's just a tool I really like. And it's I appreciate the love. It's not uh, not overly expensive either, which is refreshing here in 2019, when it seems like everyone wants just way too much money for their stuff. So uh, go go check it out. Go check it out, gregbensphotography.com. Thanks so much for joining me, Greg. Had a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me back. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again in another seven days. 